0: I think it got too difficult, really, for me to pretend to be normal. I just couldn't do it anymore. Part of me wishes I could have and <laughs> just pretended like everything was okay and I could be the high-performing badass that everyone thought I was, and I just could not. And once I admitted that to myself and said, you know, I might not be that person, but here's who I am instead, that's when life got a lot easier, more comfortable. And yeah, that's when my tribe came along and everyone was like, "Oh, us too." Yeah. And prove that there is a different way to to live this life that is just as valuable and just as viable.
1: This is Here After, and I'm your host, Megan Devine, author of the best-selling book It's Okay That You're Not Okay. Each week, I bring you conversations with authors and activists and other really cool people, all exploring what it means to be a fully feeling human in an often difficult world. Now, if you've lived through horrific trauma or abuse, is it really fair of us to say that the ways you've learned to cope with that trauma or abuse are bad, like bad, in air quotes here, or to use clinical speak to call your coping skills maladaptive? This week on Hereafter... Stephanie Fu, author of What My Bones Know. She joins me to talk about complex PTSD and the ways we pathologize human responses to trauma. You'll also hear how claiming your own messy, complex coping mechanisms can help you build a community that sees you and loves you. All of that and more coming up after this first break.
4: lifelock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own join now and save up to 25 percent your first year at lifelock.com iheart that's lifelock.com iheart to save up to 25 percent identity theft protection starts here
1: before we get started one quick note While we cover a lot of emotional relational territory in each and every episode, this show is not a substitute for skilled support with a licensed mental health provider or for professional supervision related to your work. And one more note, Hereafter with Megan Devine is currently on break between seasons. We'll be back before you know it with a whole new season with even more incredible guests. In the meantime, here's one of our most loved episodes. We'll see you soon. Hey, friends. Now, as a survivor of trauma myself, I am really sensitive about asking my guests to summarize the things they lived through. I've been on that media circuit where you just talk about some of the worst moments of your life over and over and over again, like answering these deeply personal questions about horrendous, difficult things over and over. It's just it's weird. So whenever I can, I try to shift the burden of telling the horrendous story off of my guest and front-loaded here into my introduction to the show. And that's what I've done today. Stephanie Fu grew up in San Jose, California, surrounded by manicured landscapes and high-achieving immigrant families. From the outside, her family looked like that coveted American dream scenario. But on the inside, it was very much a nightmare. Stephanie's parents regularly beat her and emotionally abused her before eventually abandoning her when she was 16. In 2018, Stephanie was diagnosed with complex PTSD, a little understood and little studied form of post-traumatic stress disorder that can occur from repeated long-term trauma. Stephanie's best-selling book, What My Bones Know, tells the story of that intense childhood abuse and the coping patterns that helped her survive what she had to survive. The book is also a story of intergenerational trauma, immigration, and understanding the roots of violence while not excusing the violence itself. Just that last bit is such a super important point, and I'm really glad that we got to talk about it a little bit in this conversation. Now, books on complex PTSD, like many other diagnoses <laughs> or, or conditions that we have, books on complex PTSD can be really dry and honestly kind of clueless and cruel in their descriptions about people who carry long-term behaviors or patterns of behavior due to the trauma and abuse they survived. So you'll hear it in our conversation today, but Stephanie really wants you all to know that her book is written by a trauma survivor for other trauma survivors, not just child abuse, but war and other kind of repeated horrible experiences. She wants you to know that the book focuses on healing, but the kind of healing that can only come when you respect the ways that each person managed to survive what they went through. I promise you that's going to make more sense as you listen to the show. But if you're haunted by any type of trauma, or you know someone who is, this conversation with Stephanie Fu is a great introduction to complex PTSD and the work of survivorship. So let's get into it. Content notes. Everybody, this episode contains non graphic reference to abuse and trauma, and it includes a small amount of swearing. Well, hi. Hello. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I sat down and read your book like cover to cover over the course of like eight hours on Sunday. Oh, wow. Fast. So, one of the things that I would really love to talk about, throwing it out there, is like you write a lot about how we pathologize responses to trauma. Mm -hmm. No matter what happens to you, like the healthy response is to be completely unaffected, (laughs) like Mm -hmm. rise above and always present as really chill. There's there's a section I particularly liked in your book when you talk about meeting Joey for the first time and you're like, I am pretending to be completely non-anxious and chill and all of these things. And he's like, okay, but tell me what's actually happening.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: So can we talk about that like that the ways that we pathologize responses to trauma?
0: Yeah, so I think, you know, just the word trauma itself, I think, is pathologized. I think there's this understanding that trauma itself, experiencing it, makes you broken. Mm -hmm. I remember reading this Vox article where they were saying, you know, be careful about how you use the word trauma because If you describe yourself as traumatized, that is saying like that you are broken and helpless and like you're robbing yourself resiliency because you're basically admitting that, you know, there's no hope for yourself and you're giving up. (laughs) Oh my God. And I was like, wait, what? (laughs) Like, Why would you define? I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess it's a problem to say that you are traumatized if that's how you're going to define trauma. But I don't think trauma needs to be defined in that way. I think the fact of the matter is that we all experience some form of trauma. And trauma is scientific adaptation to keep us alive. Like if you're bitten by a snake, you're going to be afraid of snakes. If you touch a hot stove, you're going to be really careful around a hot stove. Like it's basically your brain wiring threat and saying like, hey, this is something that's really dangerous that could kill you. So be vigilant around the thing that could kill you. And, you know, for some of us, those triggers like being afraid of snakes are, maybe more sensible than others not sensible but more like manageable than others like uh being afraid of anyone who's using a loud voice you know yeah being afraid of someone who's yelling you're going to encounter that much more in life and that's harder to avoid right than snakes
1: i think it's really interesting that like the self-definition of trauma right that we have this idea that it's not the incident of trauma that's the problem it's allowing yourself to identify as traumatized. I think we have that that as like, oh, you're being a victim and you're never going to be able to get out of this. Like, it's such a weird, like, mm-hmm. it's so weird. It's so weird. Like that that whole nothing bad should happen to you. If it does, your, your prime directive is to be resilient and unaffected. Right. And don't even name it as a bad thing because that's almost like invoking badness if you call the bad thing bad. Exactly.
0: I think it's completely missing the fact that trauma can be an adaptation. There's Mm -hmm. lots of fears and responses to trauma that actually can be healthy, that actually can make us sort of extremely useful in a variety of different situations. And it's also just not a very empathetic or kind place to come from considering that all of us have some form of trauma. If you're going to judge everyone for their trauma response instead of stepping in and saying like, hey, are you having a trauma response? Do you need a minute? What do you need? How can I help you? How can I support you in this? There's gonna be a lot more conflict, judgment, and refusal to make space. And I think it's very ableist. And like, what is this perfect, untouched population of people anyway? honestly, that right. have never gone through anything hard. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it.
1: I think it's like that common default that everybody is pretending to be okay when we're not okay, which is basically like the entire reason for my work and this show yeah. is to start talking about how hard it is to be human and the stuff we go through and that... We adapt to the things that we go through, and that's not the same as resilience or overcoming, but it's more like shit happens to you, and some of the ways that you survive that and deal with that are awesome mm-hmm. in the right context, and some of those ways are really difficult,
0: mm-hmm. but they're not wrong. Yeah. Yeah, it's the yeah. judgment of that that makes yeah. it impossible to live with, not the challenge itself. Right. Stephanie, can you give us a description
1: of complex PTSD and how that's different than, I don't know, like the post-traumatic stress disorder that people might know?
0: Yeah, so PTSD, you can get quote unquote traditional PTSD from a singular traumatic event. So let's say you're hit by a car, that can give you PTSD. Complex PTSD is kind of like if you were hit by that car every week for three years. It's when the trauma happens over and over and over, and unless you are like a tremendously unlucky individual, the only way that you're probably getting complex PTSD is from a difficult relationship with other people. So having an abuser, suffering from trauma child abuse, domestic violence, or living in a war zone. So complex PTSD in particular tends to really erode people's trust of other human beings and make relationships a little bit different.
1: Yeah. Yeah. When that is what you absorb, right, our relationships tell us about the world. And when your relationships tell you that the world is an unsafe place, then the world is an unsafe place. Mm -hmm. And we learn lots of different ways to survive that place. When I am having a conversation with an author who has a book out, like, I don't want to give the book away because I really, really want people to read the book. We were talking earlier that like my my uh, perfectionist overwork tendencies, I'm like, I'm basically going to develop a book report on your book for everybody, <laughs> but like, no, stop it, right? A book is a sort of a one-way conversation and the sparks that we gather from that, like that's, that's where that's really interesting to me. There was actually a tweet that you had out about What My Bones Know is now going into its sixth printing in five months. Thank you to the therapists and teachers who have been assigning it, the caretakers who have been studying it, and most of all the survivors for opening your hearts to it.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: This is like the dream, right? The dream here of taking something deeply personal, deeply painful, it's not easy to write about these really intense personal experiences and put them out into the world for public display and dissection.
0: Yeah,
1: And that knowing that doing that means something to people.
0: Yeah, yeah. Right?
1: Mm -hmm. Can we talk about that a little bit, that, that, that interesting zone of, here's this really intimate personal stuff that was probably not very easy to write either, certainly wasn't easy to live, and putting it out in the world and seeing the impact of that. What's that been like for you to see the impact
0: of your story in the world? It's been tremendously meaningful because Well, when I was first diagnosed, there was nothing like my book out there. Everything that I read was very clinical. (laughs) Uh, Most of it was not meant for people like me to read. It was clear that it wasn't, a lot of it was not made for people actually with complex PTSD to read. Because they would talk shit about us. <laughs> They'd be like, "Complex P- P- people with complex PTSD are so difficult to treat. They are, you know, they are burdens. They are a pain in the ass. They are whatever. They would say all of these things. And I was like, H- did you think that I'd be too stupid to read this? Like, what? I don't understand. A lot of it, it was very pathologizing. A lot of it was, like, very dry. Just, Just not. Very fun Boring. to read. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, I was a person who was coming from a storytelling background, obviously. I did, told stories for 10 years, first-person stories, other people's first-person stories. And I realized the impact that had for empathy, for a narrative, uh, for feeling less alone. You know, I'd helped so many other groups uh, feel less alone by showcasing these important stories, but never really my own. And so... When I was reading all of these books and recognizing that, you know, that first-person story just did not exist, and it, it made me feel so isolated and freakish and damaged, I guess. And I, I knew that if I healed from this in any kind of way, I would, I would need to write about it because that story was just needed. I, I didn't want anybody else to feel as completely isolated as I did after diagnosis, and I always told myself in this process that like, my story did not represent everyone with complex PTSD. I mean, it's obviously a spectrum. We all have different symptoms and experiences. And I told myself that if one person benefited from the book, then the four years of creating it would be worth it. It'd be okay. So to have the response be so overwhelmingly positive, to get, like, dozens of messages every day saying, like, you got it. That's exactly what it's like. It's been really wonderful, and it's made me realize how truly needed this was. And to be able to give words to people for this. Yeah, I mean, I think it's been great on a couple different levels. I think, first of all, it's made me feel less alone, because I didn't really have many people in my life with complex PTSD. And now I see people with all different backgrounds and careers, from herbalists to doctors to, like, you know, farmers all messaging me saying, like, your experience is my experience. Certainly it makes me feel a lot less freakish myself, and apparently I've helped other people do that. And, yeah, it also gives some sort of meaning and power to, like, the true anguish that I've had to experience. And it gives some affirmation to that self loathing that I've suffered from for so long that I don't deserve to be here, you know, that I'm too broken to be here, that I don't fit in with everyone else. I guess those feelings, and more importantly, learning how to corral those feelings has actually made me sort of able to shine a light for those who come behind me and has shown me that I really do have a place of importance here, that we all have a place of importance of being the healers who can lead the way. It's so counterintuitive or counter to the ways that we talk
1: about quote unquote mental health in this culture, right? That if you say, or if you're feeling alone in something or you're feeling like a freak, you're feeling like the only one who's experiencing these things, like then you're called to perform harder, Mm-hmm. right? Perform like everyone else a little bit harder to fit in. If you're feeling lonely, you have to be more like everybody else. And the the reverse of that is actually what's accurate. The willingness to tell the truth about who you are and where you are and what you're feeling and what you're experiencing, like that stripped down, not bright, shiny package truth, like that is how not only you feel less alone, but others feel less alone. It's like how we find each other.
0: Yeah.
2: Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health.
5: right rug flooring.
1: Welcome back, everybody. I'm Megan Devine, and this is Hereafter. Let's rejoin my conversation with Stephanie Fu, author of What My Bones Know. There's a a, a site called Glow in the Woods that was started by, I'm going to space on her last name, but her first name is Kate. And one of the descriptions, it's a it's a like a crowdsourced blog community platform for people who have experienced baby death. Mm-hmm. And she says, I envisioned a Glow in the Woods, a place where all of the Medusas could come and take their hats off.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: This place where nobody's afraid of your snakes because they have their own.
0: Yeah.
1: And I really see that power of storytelling and not just the power of storytelling but the power of telling the truth.
0: Mhm. I think it got too difficult really for me to pretend to be normal. I just couldn't do it anymore. Part of me wishes I could have <laughs> just pretended like everything was okay and I could be the high performing badass that everyone thought I was and I just could not and once i admitted that to myself and said you know i might not be that person but here's who i am instead that's when life got a lot easier <laughs> more comfortable and yeah that's when my tribe came along and everyone was like oh us too yeah. and prove that there is a different way to to live this life that is just as valuable and just as viable
1: yeah and how much easier it gets when you stop pretending to be something you're not feeling Yeah. And also understanding that it has to be safe enough to do that. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of sort of like, what's the pop psychology headline version of that is
0: like, speak your truth, claim your power. Well, it's not always safe to do that. Yeah. I mean, I had to burn down my whole life to be able to do it. Yeah. Basically, I lost everything. And I was like, well, I have nothing left to lose. So I might as well do this people are always like yeah the bravery thing people are like oh you're so brave to have like shared your story and I was like there was nothing to lose anymore so there was no nothing yeah. brave about it I have
1: literally tried everything else possible and now there is nothing and this is the only option left for me yeah 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 this whole like like, let's turn it into a hero story. Well, no, <laughs> mm-hmm. no. And I think also like as somebody who has also put a deeply terrible personal story out into the world, wrote a book that I needed when that happened that didn't exist at that time. It's like, look at all the good you've done in the world and this this conflation with, yeah, sorry, all of that happened to you, but you were so brave and now you've done so, so much good in the world. And in a way, I'm really glad that happened to you, right? oh yeah 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 has that
0: horrendous narrative shown up on your doorstep honestly not too much but i did hear it the other day i heard somebody else say it to someone with complex ptsd like that's what forged like you're forged in fire you know like now that's what made you a great writer i was
1: like oh no yeah within a couple of days of my partner drowning I was a psychotherapist before that happened and people were literally coming up to me being, you're going to be such a great therapist after this. You're going to help so many people. And I'm like, okay, one, you're actually saying that I wasn't a good therapist before and I actually needed a person to die in order to get better at it. And that his life is a fair trade for any people I might help later. And I, I just like, we have such a weird response to human pain and suffering that we really want it to be tidy. If we can't, Pretend it didn't happen. Then we need there to be a a sh- a knight in shining armor heroic moment yeah. where somebody is all healed and they've been of service to others in the world. And it's almost no wonder that people are hesitant to tell the truth about their own lives. Right? We're mm-hmm. we're confused about what trauma means, what surviving and living with trauma or traumatic events means, and we're confused about the the role of hardship in becoming sort of like better versions of ourselves like mm-hmm. why
0: there needs to be a quick yeah. transformation into positivity yep when it's like no this is fucked up and sad and like yeah i mean it it is a great thing that i've done this and i can and i can help people and i'm proud of myself but if like a magic fairy could show up tomorrow and actually i could have had a great childhood and not had any of this like i would trade it all in a second Mm -hmm. great Mm -hmm. i would take the magic fairy
1: (laughs) yep i would take the magic fairy right it's like well you wouldn't have all of these beautiful things in your life but like what beautiful things would i have instead yeah. Right. Like, stop reducing this stuff to like your little formula to make everything work out okay. And one of the things that I really love about the way that you consistently show up in all of the ways that I've seen you show up is like, you're not healed.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Like, you are not without coping mechanisms. No, you no. are not. Like, right. Like, no. but there's, there's this, I, I think we've got the folks who read your words and read your story and see themselves and get it that finding ways to live alongside this in ways that reduce the friction in your heart and your mind and your relationships are like yes Mm -hmm. and other folks who maybe don't see themselves or haven't yet seen themselves reflected in that story they're like but you're all better now right
0: yeah Yeah. i don't know if anyone is like you're all better now anyone who knows (laughs) me certainly isn't um but yeah I, i try to be very clear in the especially in the last pages of the book like it's a happy ending like Mm -hmm. I've learned to live with this in a way where I can feel real joy and be glad that I'm alive and I there's ways that I can use what I've gotten out of this in productive like ways to help people but Every day there's still at least one thing that really sucks (laughs) about having complex PTSD. So I don't know. What are you going to do? And and there's still days where, you know, (laughs) I mean, I have, I have like written in this book all of these great coping mechanisms, but it doesn't mean that I use the coping mechanisms every day. Like, sure. I like, like I'm much better. I know they're there. (laughs) And I know they're there. And like knowing that they're there gives me hope. And still there's days when I just, Yell at myself like, "Stop being crazy! You're being crazy. Mm-hmm. Stop it!" And that's super healthy. It's so healthy. So productive. At, you know, as I said in the beginning,
1: when we were when we were talking, like I noticed, recognized what I was doing when I was preparing for our conversation, and literally yelling at myself, "Stop being fucking crazy!" And it, you know, those those days those days are what happens. Mm-hmm. It's not that you suddenly reach this finish line and. You find a purpose for your story and your words, and then everything is fine. Like, nope, still still in the trenches over here. Still in the trenches with everybody else. But also
0: what kind of like psychopath, yeah, what kind of psychopath is just happy all the time? You're definitely <laughs> right? not what mentally healthy. What is wrong with you? If no. That is the case. I love like,
1: like let's do the midrash on the rede- redefinition of what health means. Like health to me means when you are having a shit day, you are having a shit day. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to pretend to be doing anything else. Yeah. That performative positivity is pathology, which should totally be a bumper sticker if that was not an ecological terror to make bumper stickers.
0: Yeah. I mean, like, I think it's like a diet, right? You mm-hmm. need a little bit of fat and sugar and carbs and meat and veggies. If you're only eating like one thing, you die. <laughs> so yeah. I think that's kind of how I see mental health is like, you have to make sure that you have a, a lot of, you're experiencing the full range of human emotion. Yeah, You know, if your anger is so big that it's blocking out the joy, then yeah, you should get that in check. If, you're, if your joy is so big that it's blocking out the ability to feel sad, also a problem. Yeah, it's the timeshare of the emotional psyche. Right.
1: Like we want all of the circuits Mm -hmm. able to fire and that one doesn't cancel the other out. Mm -hmm. I think we do that weird math of like you can't be grateful and sad at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Humans are weird. Humans are weird. I mean, that's the that's we're terrified of emotion. Right. Like Mm -hmm. We are a culture that is terrified of big emotion. And so, like, of course, we have all of these weird little rituals to make sure that happiness is the only thing. That people see and it's just it's not helping
0: Mm -mm.
1: anything and i think one of the big through lines i see not just in your book but like your writing and writing on journalism and racism and climate emergencies like all of these really difficult things the through line that i see in all of that stuff is the power of acknowledgement right Mm -hmm. just being able to tell the truth about the situation at hand Mm -hmm. and not even necessarily having a solution but that that acknowledgement of the truth in all of these really deep,
0: complex, difficult things
1: like that is not nothing.
0: I would agree with you, but I would say that like the through line with all of these things actually is agency. Mm. I think with the climate stuff, with the racism stuff, with the mental health stuff, with everything, and it, it stems from my PTSD, honestly, because, you know, growing up, I always needed to have some sort of control over the situation. I like the situation could very easily get out of control and endanger my life and the lives around me. So I always needed to like be the mom and keep everything peaceful and keep everything on lock. But I also think it's a deeply human desire that like having some form of agency gives us so much peace and a feeling of control and a feeling of well well being. And I think it's really difficult to have those when, you know, the world is falling apart and looking at the news or looking at the climate. And so I try to find small ways in which people can claim that agency for themselves to help Mm. themselves and the people around them. And I think that that is a really significant way to feel those that broad spectrum of emotions and go from feeling just anger to feeling anger and joy or just fear to fear and satisfaction and grief, you know? Yeah. I'm I'm pausing because like I am such a big fan of agency
1: and sovereignty. I feel like that's that's something that I bring up all the time that people have the the right to be who they are and feel how they feel and need what they need and to be able to have some say in how their own lives unfold. And that loss of agency, that loss of sovereignty is a source of so much
0: suffering. Yeah, dehumanization. Yeah. And, and I think agency is the heart of hope, right? Mm. Once you feel like you have some element of control, it, it, it allows you to feel that things can get better. It keeps you energized and it is the antidote to despair. So that's... (laughs) I love that. Okay. So that's a Robin Wall Kimmerer quote. That's not me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Her book is actually propping up my laptop right now. So I love that you went there because season two of the show for me is actually like where are people finding hope? Because I am definitely having some moments of like, we are screwed or I'm screwed because I'm not able to find any like hope or agency in anything. And so I I love that this, like naturally this is where you go. Like we didn't get into it in our conversation. I can, I'll, I'll leave that for folks to read in the book, but you, you wrote into your parents' histories and your family's histories and that whole history of violence and oppression and colonialism and war and what that does to a family system and how that trauma and pain and violence gets passed down. Mm-hmm. And you've also written about racism and racism in journalism and how people of color experience a lot more saturation of violence than white folks. Mm-hmm right and this knowledge of violence upon violence upon violence it's like once you start to look for it it's easy to see it everywhere it's easy to see the tendrils Mm -hmm. of historical intergenerational cultural violence showing up in so many places you do this so beautifully and so skillfully in your book like you look at what made your parents behave and act in the way that they did You look at that without collapsing into, oh, I get it now. And so the sort of like sentimental music swelling absolution. Mm. You don't even, like I I was, I I literally cheered when I read that part of your book. So thank you. (laughs) I think two things here. One, understanding why something, a person, a family system, a culture, an organization, whatever, understanding why they are the violent, oppressive creatures they are does not absolve them of the responsibility to not act out of their histories
0: mm-hmm. in the violent
1: ways that they're doing,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? We can we can hold both things at the same time. I think that we get caught in this like, oh, I understand them, so I have to excuse them. Like, I'm just going to roll over and pee on myself. No, Mm-mm. hello. You can understand what created a person and still hold them accountable for their actions. I think that's a really tricky point that not a lot of people pick up. And the other thing, coming back to what you just described about where you find hope, it's like when you start looking for the roots of violence, like there's no end to that. You start seeing it everywhere. And that can be really, really overwhelming and depressing.
0: There's no end to goodness either. Yes, if you look for it. Yay, that is true. There's no end to kindness and love if you're looking for it, and like healing, and like if you look at the long arc of history, I mean, it's generally been getting a lot better than it was in like the 1500s. Gotta say, so you know, it, whereas that's true. I mean, all I have to do is like look at the Zoomers, honestly and the empathy and like the respect that they have for their feelings and like the respect that they have for others who are different from them. And I'm like, you know, things are getting better, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I, I, I feel angry at boomers a whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But, um, you know, history isn't over. History is not done, culture is not done culture isn't static. It's constantly changing and evolving. And I I think there will always be violence. Look, I'm not like naive enough to think that there is not going to be violence, that there's not going to be grief and death and loss. But I th- certainly think that I can support others in their quest for happiness and be supported better. And yeah. Trying to end the cycles as best as we can.
1: Yeah, that sounds hopeful.
0: There's a right? lot to be Hope, hopeful about.
1: Hopeful, hopeful, but not Pollyanna. We're not naive. I guess is the word that you use. There's a lot to be mm-hmm. hopeful about.
0: Honestly, like <laughs> I think there is that you know the zoom the Zoomers they ha- have this thing you know okay boomer mm-hmm. they have okay doomer. <laughs> Like, okay, Doomer, like, you're going to say that, like, the world is on fire and everything's dying and whatever, like, the whole world is going to end. Well, fuck you, because, you know, they're 15, and they have the right to a full and thriving life. And so, yeah, it's kind of shitty for us to be like, yeah, the world's on fire, everything's going to die within 30 years without giving them an out or another option. Yeah. So...
1: I feel like this is a good, like I can keep talking about hope and despair and agency and action forever and ever and ever and ever, but I feel like this is probably a good place to wrap us up. Do you want to tell the people where they can find you and
0: anything else
1: you want them to know
0: about you or about trees? Sure. I am on Instagram at foo foo foo. I'm on Twitter. at I'm on the radio. My book is wherever fine books are sold called What My Bones Know and come join the community where like it is safe to have complex PTSD. And in this world that I am envisioning and dreaming up and I'm hopeful for, we can learn to take care of each other and be more accepting of our traumas and learn how to repair really thoughtfully when we have ruptures that come from this violence, I don't know if that was the best, like most meaningful, profound thing to end on. That's the thing I think that came is. to mind. <laughs> I think
1: that's a beautiful thing to end on, right? We didn't get a chance to talk about repair and rupture. The, all of that stuff is in your book. If we treated complex PTSD, like a disability, this would mean advocating for the things that we need, learning how to do repair after a rupture. I think those are actually good cliffhangers Mm -hmm. for us because those are all in the book and your vision of a kinder, more honest, more hopeful world is a really clear and beautiful and powerful storytelling place to end.
0: And I appreciate it. And I'm sure other folks will too, so. Well, thank you so much. This has been a really optimistic, pleasant little romp. It's so nice to exit a conversation about trauma, not feeling like you just had to go through and recall all the crappy things about your life. (laughs) And instead be like, ah, flowers. (laughs) (laughs) Flowers, trees, agency, and hope. Yeah. Woo,
1: for everyone. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, no, you already wrote the whole book. You don't need to relive it every time you talk to somebody.
0: Yeah. <laughs> That's nice. what reading is for.
1: <laughs> All right. I'm going to sign us off, folks. We will be right back after this break. Back in a second.
5: Right Rug Flooring.
1: Each week, I leave you with some questions to carry with you until we meet again. This season is all about hope. Real, like, functional hope. Rooted in what are honestly some pretty difficult things. Now, you'll notice that Stephanie and I referenced trees and flowers as we wrapped up our conversation on complex PTSD and on hope. We had this whole side conversation on how she manages her own climate despair, how she finds hope inside daily action in the service of trees. It was a really awesome conversation, but it didn't quite fit with the things that we've been talking about previously. So that whole bonus conversation is going to come out later this week. It is really sweet and has its own hope inside it, so watch for that one. Although better yet, just follow the show wherever you listen to podcasts, that way you will not miss anything. Now, what I am personally taking with me from this week's episode is a bit more kindness to myself about the ways I've learned to survive the difficult things in my own life. And it's so easy to be annoyed, (laughs) especially as a therapist and a like obsessively self-reflective, person like it's so easy to be annoyed with the, <laughs> the weird ways i act sometimes or the weird ways i think sometimes and i'm like ah after all this time like you still are using those old coping skills that that really aren't applicable i mean i have great coping skills i just don't use them all the time and i think i think i can be a little bit kinder to myself on those days that i'm not exactly using the the very best tools in my collection that's what i'm going to take from this conversation today? What parts of the conversation stuck with you today? What parts made you think about something in a new way or see something differently in your life or in somebody else's? Were there parts of Stephanie's story, especially those parts about letting herself be seen? Were there parts of that story that helped you feel seen? Everybody's gonna take something different from today's show, but I do hope you find something to hold on to. I'd love to hear what you've taken from this episode what insights you might have had, what curiosity got piqued. I don't know. I just really like to hear from you. Check out and Grief on Instagram or HereafterPod on TikTok to see clips from the show and leave us your thoughts and your comments on those posts really on any of the social platforms, and Grief and Here After Pod. And be sure to tag us on your own social accounts when you do share the show. Use the hashtag HereafterPod on any platform so we can find you. The whole team really loves to see where this show takes you. Now, if you want to tell us how today's show felt for you, or you have a request or a question for upcoming explorations of difficult things, give us a call at 323 643 3768 and leave a voicemail. If you missed it, you can find the number in the show notes or visit megandevine.co. If you'd rather send an email, you can do that too right on the website megandevine.co. We want to hear from you. I want to hear from you. This show, this world, needs your voice. Together, we can make things better, even when they can't be made right. You know how most people are gonna scan through their podcast app looking for a new thing to listen to? They're going to see the show description for hereafter and think, I don't wanna listen to difficult things, even if super cool people are talking about them. Well, that's where you come in. Your reviews of the show let people know it really isn't all that bad in here. We talk about heavy stuff, yes, but it's in the service of making things better for everyone. So everyone needs to listen. Spread the word in your friend groups, your professional circles, on social media, and click through to leave a review. Subscribe to the show, download episodes, and keep on listening, friends. Want more hereafter? Grief education doesn't just belong to end-of-life issues. As my dad says, daily life is full of everyday grief that we don't call grief. From daily disappointments right up through those losses that rearrange the world, grief is everywhere. Learning how to talk about all that without cliches or platitudes or dismissive, accidentally on purpose rude statements, well, that's an important skill for everybody. Find tip sheets, trainings, professional resources, and my best-selling book, It's Okay That You're Not Okay, plus the guided journal for grief at megandevine.co. Hereafter with Megan Devine is written and produced by me. You guessed it, Megan Devine. Executive producer is Amy Brown. Co-produced by Elizabeth Fazio. Logistical and social media support from Micah. And edited by Houston Tilly. Music provided by Wavecrush. And occasional background noise from the air conditioning that I almost always forget to turn off.
2: Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health.